Hello, everyone, and welcome to Culturally Relevant, a podcast about film, television, art, and culture. I'm David Chen, and welcome to one of our last episodes of 2020. Boy, what a year it has been, but I am excited to bring you this week's episode, which is going to be me counting down my top five TV shows of 2020. But that would be pretty boring if it was just me, so I decided to bring on somebody who is much more skilled at talking about TV. Willa Paskin is the host of Decoder Ring and the TV critic over at Slate.com. Willa Paskin, welcome to Culturally Relevant. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's so great to have you on to talk about your favorite TV shows of the year. Before we get to that, though, please tell our listeners about Decoder Ring, one of my favorite podcasts and something they should be listening to. Like, What, what is your elevator pitch for Decoder Ring? Oof. Uh, yeah, so the show is Decoder Ring is about cultural mysteries very, very largely construed. So that might be something that you've wondered about, like, what is the origin of the term Karen? Like, uh, or what is, um, why, like, what's going on with hotel art? Well, maybe that you've never met, met like, imagine that. Like, I, one of the ones I actually had wondered about was, like, why on, uh, like, home shot, like, on, on reality TV, do people have so many pillows on their bed, like, decorative pillow creep? Or like if you mm-hmm, walked into a hotel mm-hmm. and you're like, why are there 30 pillows on my bed? Where am I supposed to sleep? We did an episode about that. Um, and then other ones about just like things that are really interesting. Like what's the deal with the animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese? In fact, all of our episodes could kind of be like, what's the deal with? But we, instead we make it a clever question. Um, we just done a couple about like the Jane Fonda workout, which I really was an episode I was really happy with about the woman who sort of really created the workout, which we also talked to Jane Fonda for. I just, we just did a two, uh, one about the like, why it took blue food so long to catch on um it catching on point being like sort of the 90s blue m&m moment um yeah we just like look at interesting cultural phenomena and try to talk to everybody who might know anything about it and make a narrative um that has like good characters and juicy questions and big ideas about why these things are interesting and i really like making it and i think that that shows and uh, you should listen to it because it's fun it's a delightful show. Uh, it's found wherever podcasts can be downloaded. I would argue it's one of the best podcasts on the internet. Uh, check out Decoder Ring. Also, I noticed in March of 2020, you did an episode about the true story behind You've Got Mail. You know, I recently watched You've Got Mail, Willa, and I found it to be incredibly problematic and upsetting. What do you think? <laughs> Why did you find it incredibly problematic and upsetting? Well, just this idea that Joe Fox... Uh, spoilers for the 1998 romantic comedy You've Got Mail, but Joe Fox uh, crushes Meg Ryan's uh, business unapologetically, gaslights her, lies to her, and then expects to get the girl at the end. You know, like it's just... I'm just like, this is inexcusable behavior. Inexcusable. So, well, I got really interested in, I want to do that episode because I, I grew up on the Upper West Side where um, You've Got Mail is set and it was sort of based on this... Uh, the real Barnes and Noble that went up on 82nd street. Um, and there was a bunch of other bookstores that shut as a result. One was a children's bookstore that I like had known about called Eeyore's. Um, so I was interested in, it, and I just also was interested in like from the vantage of now, this idea that Barnes and Noble, in this case, Fox books, but like a, you know, a doppelganger for Barnes and Noble could have been the villain is just such a particular cultural moment, right? Like it's Barnes and Noble does not really look like, the evil bad guy that it once did. They're, they're beloved now. They're yeah, beloved I mean, compared now. to, you know, they, compared to Amazon, everything that everyone accuses Amazon of, um, they're accusing Barnes and Noble of, but it turns out they should have held their fire for Amazon. So, uh, yeah, so I, that was why I was really interested in it. And I know what you mean. I know what you mean. 
but you know it's love i don't know i've been uh i've been going back in time and uh one of the things i've been doing during the pandemic is rewatching some older romantic comedies and uh reassessing them and, and seeing how problematic some of them are and it's interesting you know you've got mail i would say highly problematic love actually highly problematic uh best friend's wedding uh, pr- pr- pretty okay because they acknowledge that the main character is villainous. Uh, the holiday, a delight, no problems whatsoever. Uh, so it's it's kind of interesting to Can look I back. Can I ask you and... a question about like a sleeper romantic comedy that's not even really a sleeper romantic comedy, but it's like really good, I think, but I haven't you seen can, it in a while. You can always ask me anything you want. Go you know, ahead. definitely maybe, you know, like the Ryan Reynolds, Isla Fisher one. I have not seen it. Oh, I have not seen it. it's actually very good i i'm not gonna say more rachel weiss and elizabeth banks were also in it it's sort of set in like it's it's probably came out later but it's 2008 2008 yeah like Uh, a lot of it is set sort of in the clinton era because it's like flashbacky um but it's really delightful as i recall so please watch it and let me know if it's problematic um but also just let me know if you like it i think that's like a that's like a good romantic comedy that's like one of those movies where you're like oh right when everybody just like does a little more than they have to sometimes it's much better (laughs) when they don't do that interesting well speaking of things that willa recommends we're going to count down our top five tv shows of 2020 on this podcast now uh your 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 peeps reached out to me willa and they said hey uh do you do you want willa paskin on your podcast i'm like do i um what what have i I done for the i have representation (laughs) i didn't even know what have i done what have i done that the gods of internet podcasting have reached down and allowed me to uh, have willa paskin as a guest on my show culturally relevant well i said not only would i love to have willa paskin on i'd love us to count down the top five tv shows of the year under the following conditions uh, which are that number one, uh, these are all uh, TV TV seasons that have occurred in the year 2020, right? So, uh, it, it, but limited miniseries are acceptable. Uh, it, it could be a season of a show that has like launched in previous years, right? So it could be season five or six or whatever of a pre-existing show, and uh, no TV movies. So, for instance, like Bad Education, the very good HBO original film that came out this year, that is not. Uh, allowed um and i don't really want to weigh in on the whole tv versus movie debate um we'll also have a few honorable mentions as well uh willa has a top 10 list and we'll probably talk about her six through ten before i get to our top five but before any of that willa i want to ask you a general question which is what role has tv occupied in your life this year Uh, as you reflect back on the year because it's been a fairly eventful year and i i guess um as a TV critic, somebody who writes about TV and explores pop culture for a living, curious like what your thoughts are on the role that TV has occupied. Because uh, for many people, it occupies a place of like comfort or engagement after they're done working. For you, it is work. Has that changed at all during the pandemic? Is it like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got to watch another thing right now? Or is it like, thank God for TV because I can get away from like the daily troubles of my life and, and, and escape uh how do you reflect on this year in terms of tv well you know because it is my job i would say that um it didn't change that much actually um which is maybe not the answer you're looking for but basically what you just said is exactly right right like people love tv because it's like this escape or not even just an escape it's like a fun thing to do it's fun to be into a show and i have found that i um because it's work that feeling is pretty far gone for me um like i sort of 
I'm like a bordering on like TV critic apostate territory at this point. And like, I joke around that like, if I stopped being a TV critic, like I wouldn't watch TV for like two years, which isn't true. When I was on maternity leave, I watched a bunch of TV that I just wanted to, but um, you know, I don't, I don't like, if I was going to just consume some entertainment for fun that like, I either want it to be like pretty heady, like, and deep and rich in a way that I think a lot of the TV that people um, watch just like to escape isn't. Um, Or I'd like, just like read a book or watch a movie. Do you know what I mean? Like it just, I, it's not that it doesn't happen, but TV is not like at this point, my like go-to entertainment hang. Yeah. Because you deal with it so much for work. Um, Yeah. It just changes how, you approach it you know you just don't yeah. really get to watch exactly what you want to watch you're sort of have your thinking cap on when you do it you know um yeah this is what happens when you make your passion your job willa you know totally um there's <laughs> totally. this there's this, what happens. there's this amazing post on reductress from 2017 called how i transformed my fun hobby into a lucrative emotionally taxing full-time gig <laughs> <laughs> um, which, uh, I think anyone who works in this kind of, this kind of industry, yeah. uh, can relate to that said, um, we should also acknowledge you are one of the lucky ones that gets to do that. Right. So, oh my God, the luckiest. Um, and also like things surprise me, like we're going to get to Ted Lasso, but like there's things where I'm just like, oh, I think like I'm, I'm like a beyond this. Like I can't be like, I can't find joy in TV or whatever. And then like something comes along and you're like, that was super fun. I had no, like I had nice. no expectations and I just watched the whole thing and I really liked it. And also like, you know, it's not like I watched a bunch of stuff that's not going to be on our list this, you know, but like Tiger King or like the last dance that I like watching was like, these things have huge flaws, but I didn't not enjoy them. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I think you're, I think you're, you're starting to spoil my list a little bit, Willa. So let's get, into, let's get into this soon. But uh, here's what I'll say in terms of my reflections on this year, which is that um, TV was very, very weird for me this year. And I think that I felt it most acutely uh, earlier on in the year, uh, right around when the pandemic started going, because uh, earlier on, and I think you as a New Yorker can probably relate to this, but there was a long period of time when we were pretty locked down, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Everyone was quarantined, like the people who weren't frontline workers or essential workers were quarantined. Um, Obviously, many parts of the country have started to open back up now. But during those er early days, it was very, very odd to watch TV because you're you're basically viewing a window into an alternate reality that no longer exists, right? Uh, I remember when I watched TV shows, I would recoil because you'd see people doing things that were no longer okay, right? Like shaking hands or hugging or doing things like that. Yeah. And it it just is this weird kind of dissonance that you felt like watching TV. And then as the year has gone on, TV to me has felt like it has. Con- I've I've gotten used to the whole like people hugging and whatever. Uh, you know, like I, I I no longer feel weird when right. I see that on TV because I'm just like I, I've adapted to that. But what is weird is I still feel like we're seeing a window from the pa- like into the past because a lot of the TV that is created is stuff that was done before COVID. Right, it's stuff that was like was created before yeah uh, the pandemic hit, and so we we are still witnessing like thought processes and working processes and things that like didn't exist um, when uh, or, or that no longer exist right now because we are dealing with a pandemic together. So yeah, uh, I, this is so, not to be like a, 
I never, I know this is, I've heard this from a lot of people and I think people wrote a lot of pieces about it, but I didn't have this thing where I was like, I'm so weirded out to watch people touching each other on TV. Like I just didn't, I was like, it's TV or it's like, I just, I still don't have that cognitive dissonance. I'm just like, yep. Like that's the thing happening. That's not life. I don't know. It just didn't, it didn't, it didn't irk. Like it didn't feel bad. I think the things that like all the things that are actually have been about COVID have been like so much worse to me. And like all, you know, like there was that like four month, five month periods up over now where like every single commercial was like oh somehow like a COVID commercial, like, you know, yeah. like a heartstrings commercial. And that was so much weirder to me than just like the well, show was, being was, the show. It was baffling because uh, what was so weird about it was everyone wanted to acknowledge the pain that everyone was going through without actually directly referencing it, right? Right. Because it really gets you down when you like say, hey, we're all going through a pandemic. People are dying. Like that's not going to get people to want to buy the Jeep Wrangler. You know, so they say things like, as we're all going through difficult times and then a plaintive piano plays in the background and, you know. Like, we all need to come together and blah, blah, blah. And that's why Jeep is the the brand that's going to get you to the next place you need to go. And it's just like, uh, you know, at first, it's like, okay, I, I appreciate that you're acknowledging we're all living in this weird reality and terrible reality. But then as every brand adopted it, it became uh, pretty lame. You know, uh, <laughs> right. it became like, this is boring and kind of like not bold storytelling, you know, when it comes to, to ads. Anyway, um, so uh, yeah, I, I had completely, I had almost completely forgotten about all these ads we were inundated with that were like yeah. COVID acknowledging. But I, w- I would agree with you that they're bad. Now, let me ask you this. Also, like you mentioned COVID content as well, and I'm curious, like, uh, did you watch any things that were kind of directly COVID related? That uh, you mean, you like feel other than like the mentioned? Thirty Rock and Parks and Rec specials or whatever? Yeah, like um, that kind of stuff that was like born out of COVID or, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, I watched those. I didn't do like the love and time of coronavirus um, and some of those other shows that were specifically about it. Not, I mean, I would have probably would have had an assignment to do it, you know, but um, I didn't. So I didn't. Um, I mean, that's just like another example. Like it's, it's, you know, those things are sociologically interesting for sure. And they might even be enjoyable. You know, I didn't. I didn't watch them, but, um, just, just cause you didn't have time. You didn't, you, it would, yeah, interest it just you. seems yeah. like, you know, it's, this, we're going to get, we're going to, we're going to get really far afield from our top five, but it's just, you know, the thing about the way the TV works now is I think it's, um, what, like sort of the streaming ness of everything. And also just like the fact that we have access to traffic statistics has just sort of demonstrated that, people really like to read about shows they've seen. I mean, there's people who like reviews. Like I'm a person who like reviews, you know, probably a lot of writers are there's, there's people who are interested, but there's a, the, like the, re, the return on investment of time, you know, for like, is it's much more located in shows that people have already watched that they know they care about. Um, and so, you know, we don't like, that's not the only reason to, to write criticism is not just to get traffic, you know, and obviously part of a critic's job is to direct people um, towards interesting things, but especially when um, it's probably not going to be that, do you know what I mean? Like it's probably not going to be something where you're like, this is the best ever. Um, A lot of the things that seem like good ideas, you know, it's not really true. (laughs) Like, yeah. um, Yeah. So 
I, I mean, I would say that the COVID stuff has really not been interesting to me at all. Like, it's it just because we're already all living through this reality. Like, I don't need, I, I you know, and I, <laughs> I'm being a little hypocritical because I often talk about, quote unquote, the issues on my podcast, like what's happening in the world. Um, but I watch TV to, like, escape from my reality in some ways. And um, I don't want... Um, like I, I, I don't want to be thinking about like oh the fact that you can't all be together on set right now and and you're trying to create entertainment based on that like it's just not how I prefer to spend my leisure time in general these days. Right. So yeah. So anyway, it's it's been a really weird year in terms of TV. Um, and I mean I, I remember last year when I did this exact same countdown on culturally relevant, we were talking about how like peak TV and streaming is dominant like these were the things that we were, we were really concerned about and now it's like uh wow like the the whole uh pandemic has really thrown the entertainment industry for a loop so anyway uh just a few scattered thoughts on this year in television but let's get to our top five list before we do that let's talk about honorable mentions what didn't make it into your top five willa you want to take us through a couple of your choices Sure. Some other shows that I really liked this year that did not make it into my top five uh, include The Good Lord Bird, or uh, which I thought was like just um, just a really good, rich, deep TV show that like seems like you know it's an adaptation of the James McBride novel, and it's about um, slavery and <laughs> John Brown, and it just seems like it's going to be um, you know it seems like it could be wrong and totally like it could be bad in a lot of different ways like it could be ponderous and terrible it could be insensitive and terrible like it could just been a mess and it really isn't any of those things they spent a lot of time like figuring out how to make it into a show and they did a great job um and so that's the good lord bird on showtime right and it stars ethan hawk and david diggs yeah i've heard it's great I uh, haven't got around to it. Um, I I did recently pick up the the book as well. Yeah. Uh, but also, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'm I was going to say is is the Queen's Gambit in your top five? Uh, it's actually in my worst of list, but uh, Ooh, we're not even going. Okay. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we're not even going to go over that. Yeah. But okay. anyway. Uh, yeah. yeah. Why Why do you ask? Well, because it was one of my. I was like not going to talk about it as one of my other ones as my like honorable mentions. If you were going to talk about it. For your good no, ones. no, please, please, please tell, oh my tell God, us about we're the gonna have to like find. Are we gonna get to the things <laughs> that you hate? Like, are we gonna find out why you hate it? Let's uh, let's see how the let's see how the top five goes, and if you don't uh, exit the podcast, you know, by force, like of your own volition, uh, maybe we could talk about the thing. I, I don't want to scare you off with my Queen's Gambit takes, Willa. So I'm I'm not um, easily scared. I love a I love a hate take. All, all right, I want all is right. like okay. All we'll, right, all right, we'll all right. Put a pin in Queen's Gambit. Yes, we'll saying. put a pin in it. We'll put okay. a pin in it. That's a great okay. idea. That's great. a great idea. Okay, cool. Uh, okay, what else is on your honorable mentions? Didn't make it um, into the top five. Well, okay, Teenage Bounty Hunters, which is this basically mm. like show that basically seems like it should have been on the WB in like the nineties, airing like after Buffy and Veronica Mars. Um, it's about like two teenage girls who go to a Christian school who. Um, crash their dad's car and end up like having a sideline and being bounty hunters um, to make some cash. And it's just like very snappy. And it's just truly like one of these teen shows where it's like about a lot more and they, you know, are very clever and there's a lot of banter and a lot of like identity formation. And it's very, very charming. And um, I'm mostly included on my list because I just feel like it actually didn't get a ton of attention and it's like pretty sweet. 
Um, and it's also only going to be one season because they didn't pick it up for a second season. So like, that's great. A one season show. Sometimes that's the best thing. Mm. Yeah. It, it is interesting. Like the, the role that top five, top 10 lists play. Right. And one of them is generally people like reading them. And so they are an opportunity to highlight lesser known things. So that definitely informs my list. Sometimes it's just like, rather than this is canonically what I think is best. I'm, I'm going to pick a show maybe that like you haven't heard of. Because uh, I have your attention and I want you to check it out, right? And so this is kind of, yeah. My colleague, Dan Coyce, I don't know if he did it in a tweet or did it in a piece, but he once like did a thing that was like what every spot on the list actually is. It's like number one is like Bachelor of the Year. Number two is like your actual favorite show. Like, you know, number seven is like the show you don't, like wild card. And it's totally true. Like it's not, there's about about a showmanship going on. Correct, correct. All right, so... um, uh that's uh teenage bounty hunters on netflix and uh what else is on your honorable mentions um bluey which is like there's a wow, wild card okay, choice nice. which, which is a children's show from australia that's just like i have kids it's very lovely and not annoying highly recommend it if you have small children um my, my co-host on the slash film cast jeff canada also highly recommends bluey so uh i've heard yeah i've heard it's a child a children's show that's not irritating yeah, so uh check that out lovely. And yeah. then and then we put a pin on Queen's Gambit. And then my other one is Cheer, which is sort of interesting because that happened like pre-pandemic. So it feels like a gajillion years ago was sort of like the show everyone's talking about for like a couple weeks in January. And then um, also because sort of the sort of emotional center of the show has since been, um, you know, arrested and caught up in some really horrific uh, child sex trafficking, not sex trafficking, like, you know, yeah. child pornography, yeah. in, in, charges. In, inappropriate behavior around minors, basically. Um, yeah. It's just really, it's sort of hard to talk about because everyone's just like, okay, we're gonna, but I, I think that show was really, you know, I watched the first episode and I was like, this is sort of standard, but um, then I just think it got really deep and good. And it was like about a bunch of hard things, like how hard you're supposed to work a bunch of 20 year olds um, to be, who want to be part of something, but I thought it was, I just, it really, I remember it, you know, it stuck with me. I thought it was, I thought it was a good show. I loved cheer. It's also on my honorable mentions list. I think it's, it was absolutely brilliant. And it is one of those, uh, documentaries where, uh, when I started it, I, you know, I didn't give a shit about, um, (laughs) cheerleading, like, uh, college cheerleading. It's like, it is, if you made a list of 500 topics that I don't care about, uh, that would have been like pretty close to the end of the list in terms of how much I cared about it. And by the end, I'm so invested in the story of these people and uh, I'm so appreciative of the artistry and the craft. Uh, and what's great about Cheer is like many great documentaries, it manages to make the filmmaker seemingly just disappear, right? Like you, you, they get footage that could only have been gotten by people who deeply trust them. And I think that's really uh, a testament to the skills of the filmmakers. So loved cheer. It's on Netflix. Uh, it's one of my favorite TV shows of the year as well. All right. Shall we get to my honorable mentions then? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So Tiger King, you mentioned it. <laughs> now here's the thing. Tiger King, I would say is brilliant trash is how I would describe it. I, I, I do think that the there is something to be said about a show that uh manages to capture the entire popular imagination and it was a thing that hit like right around when the pandemic was starting right so right around when a lot of the lockdowns were beginning and people couldn't leave we had tiger king and 
it was compulsively watchable. Like you really just wanted to see what happened. It was this kind of parade of human grotesqueries that uh, was both like both made me feel dirty and yet I could not look away. Uh, and it uh, the, the probably its its biggest service to humanity is that it made me forget about the pandemic while I was watching it. You know, because like. I'm in awe and aghast at everything that's happening and uh, on screen. And like, I couldn't even think about anything else. And so I appreciated that Tiger King gave that to us. Yeah. Um, that said, I like, there was a kind of post Tiger King reunion special. I don't know if you watched that. With I, did. McHale. I, did. I did. But that really kind of made me feel, it, it made me retroactively hate the show. Like, because it was hosted by Joel McHale. So it was very much like a, hey, I'm Joel McHale. This is an entertaining. We're gonna gawk at these people, and it it, very, it it kind of removed any veneer that this was a kind of valuable documentary enterprise, mm-hmm. and more like we're just gawking at these folks, you know. And I'm just like, oh, okay, like. But I, I guess I have to mention it because when you reflect on the year 2020, this is one of the most kind of remarkable TV shows of the year uh, that like managed to occupy everyone for really weeks on end seemingly i mean we're still seeing tiger king documentaries released up to this day um so your thoughts on tiger king willa paskin yeah no i mean this is an interesting question like what's a top 10 list or top five list like is it the best show is it your favorite show is it the most important show i mean i think you could definitely make a case that tiger king's the most important show i think i mean i just think like the car crashness of it is not i just you know, what it has going for it is exactly what you said, just like this veneer of documentary quality on like a bunch of like reality TV stuff we're all familiar with. I mean, the fact that he thought he was filming a reality show is why all that footage exists yeah. in the first place. Um, but, it, you know, it doesn't it it goes on a long time. I think it sort of gave Carol Baskin a really weird bad edit. Uh, it's like I'm not sure that like, I, you know. We like really gross things sometimes. <laughs> like it just like we don't like things that like what is popular does not mean it's good. That's like history as that's the case. I think there was a sort of brief window where it seemed like maybe that wasn't true about TV and what's like deluded us into thinking it still is, but it's not true. Like it's very popular. I know exactly why it's popular. I also watch it where you're just like, what is happening every second? There's some other insane thing happening. Um, but it's pretty tawdry. And also like it was pretty confused about what its point of view was about all these yeah, people. Totally. Um, yeah. Well, 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 I mean, the, the film, the series was ostensibly made as kind of a, like a animal well, treatment started, awareness right? situation. Yeah. Right. And then, and then it completely lost its way. And it's kind of fascinating, even just like in that regard of like, this is a guy who the filmmaker went in to try to, to tell a, a story that would make the world a better place and arguably ended up making it a worse place. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I mean, he um, like, right. He couldn't resist the reality TV that right. was happening in front of him. So right. So the meta is is interesting as well. Anyway, I it's not it's not. I would not call it a good show, but I I, I just couldn't do this episode and not at least acknowledge it. So, <laughs> um, all right. Other things. Uh, the Boys season two. Full disclosure: I am an employee of Amazon, which puts this show out. Um, but I, uh, did appreciate that this is one of the few depictions of superheroes that is incredibly cynical and upsetting about what superheroes would actually be like in our world. Right. 
And uh, we see very little of that. I mean, superheroes, right, are, I think I've talked about this in other podcasts and such, are like, it's kind of this inherently like a fascist fantasy, right, of like, there's people who are more powerful than us, and they get to decide, you know, who lives and who dies. And and, uh, the boys asks, what if that was not a good thing? And I I appreciate that the show out there that's doing that. Um, Bojack Horseman, the final season. Uh, or final part of the final season aired this year, I believe. And uh, I thought it was a worthy ending to the show. Uh, I'm sad that the show is not going on anymore. Um, this is one of those kind of like, remember Willow when like earlier on, when Netflix first came on the scene, it's like, oh, the Netflix model is going to make room for cool shows like BoJack Horseman. And like, they they know how to slice and dice audiences so much that um, shows like Bojack Horseman can survive forever. And it's like now Netflix, in my opinion, has become much more like a conventional TV network, right? Yeah. Where if things are not popular, then they get canceled. And um, that's uh, that's actually another thing, actually, I probably should have brought up in like the, our earlier segment about um, about uh, reflecting yeah, on the year and yeah, yeah. How, how the industry has changed. It's like we're seeing uh people like people like netflix like there's so few shows that go past season three on netflix right now and i am i am worried that like for them that like if you keep canceling shows after seasons one uh two or three uh you will never make something like the office which was consistently one of the most popular shows on netflix like shows like community and the office like people don't remember how those shows were consistently on the bubble back then, right? Like yeah, many of totally. them never like were, came so close to being canceled, but because they stuck it out, now they are hugely valuable pieces of, of content. Yeah. I mean, these, I don't worry days. for Netflix. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> I, I, I cannot sleep knowing that Netflix <laughs> I mean, might this, be in right. trouble I mean, with their content strategy. I mean, this is part of like <laughs> the way that, you know, everyone's business model actually changes how stuff's made, which is like, obviously Netflix is aware at this point that new shows drive subscriptions in a way that their existing shows don't. So even if it has like a loyal audience after three or four seasons, that audience isn't going to leave because that show gets canceled and they can put their money in a new show that might get in new people. I mean, that's just what's happening. Um, yeah. But are they aware of the long-term corrosive <laughs> impacts of these decisions, Willow? That's my yeah, question. But like, you know, it's it's also just a funny question is like is can Netflix like really make a good sitcom? Like, you know, they tried like with Space, you know, like I just am not sure. One they, one day at a time, I would argue is pretty good. Yeah, no, totally. And like they just did space, but it's like it's possible that actually the thing that is like the the office or like friends, like they just might not be the place best suited to that. Um, mm. you know. Interesting. Uh, any f- opinions on BoJack Horseman? You a fan? I am, but I haven't watched in a long time, but I think it's a great show. I see. Uh, well, I thought that the wrap-up was really, really powerful. So would strongly recommend getting back into it if you have a chance. But, it will uh, go on my list <laughs> for sure. It already is already on my list. The, uh, yeah, I'm sure you don't have enough things to watch. So um, <laughs> BoJack Horseman, day. final season. And finally, I want to give a shout-out to Devs, which aired on Hulu and FX. This is, this the is Alex on Garland my miniseries. worst list. This is on my worst oh, list. Oh, so shit. Fun. Okay, okay. All right. So let's let's save the conversation at the end for Devs and uh, and Queen's Gambit. How about Great. that? Um, so let's we'll, we'll, we'll put a pin in Devs and Queen's Gambit. We'll have a little uh, mano a mano on those things. <laughs> okay, but in Great. the meantime, let's get to our top. So those are my honorable mentions. Okay. Uh, let's get to our top five. Cool. Willa Paskin, what is your number five show of the year? Miss America. 
Mm, Mrs. Nice. America? Mrs. America? Mrs. America, I believe. Mrs. America, yeah. Yeah. Uh, miniseries about um, Phyllis Schlafly's, uh, based on a true story, based on Phyllis Schlafly, the um, sort of conservative, like a, a sort of conservative mastermind, actually, paid by Kate Blanchett, who um, in her successful attempts to halt the Equal Rights Amendment from passing, um, which seems at one point like a sure thing. And she's sort of juxtaposed against, um, you know, the boldface names of the second wave feminist movement, including, um, you know, Gloria Steinem and Bella Abzug and Shirley Tissom um, and Betty Friedan, who are played by um, Rose Byrne and Uzo Aduba and... Tracy Ullman, that's right, and Margot Martindale. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's about a really depressing thing, <laughs> which is still playing out, which is like the uh, incredible polarization of even like, of just basic equality and um, with a sort of set of playbook tricks that are still being employed. Um, and Yet it was also, I thought, very spry and fun to watch, um, episode by episode, and chewy, and had a lot of ideas in it, and a lot of really good performances, and I liked it a lot. So I have not seen the show yet. Uh, It's been on my list. You know, it's just kind of a thing where I, I sense that this is a show that is brilliant and that is going to teach me a lot, and therefore, like, will require my full attention. And it's been a year that has been difficult for me to, you know, summon my full attention for. that like it's not a grind you know like it's not like it doesn't feel like homework it's like Mm. pretty sprightly and like jump cut you know like it's pretty fast and 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 clever um and like well done it's not it's not um i don't know you shouldn't you may not it is true that there's like lots of interesting things and there are sort of like really you know um depressing parallels but it's not an unfun show okay all right. Um, well, that's Mrs. America, which you can watch right now on Hulu or FX. Um, one of the controversies around the show was around Kate Blanchett's depiction of Phyllis Schlafly. Like, I, I did see a bunch of chatter about that and whether or not... Like, just um, by her being so good, it was sympathetic to her? Yeah, because, because she is such a charismatic figure and, like, uh, you know... Uh, basically allows you to see that perspective and what, you know, what was motivating Phyllis Schlafly. I guess I'm curious, like if you, if you caught any of that uh, discussion and if you had any opinion on that. Yeah, I definitely caught that discussion. Um, I mean, I think the show has perhaps another mistake, which is not an uncommon mistake in shows made about conservatives by liberals, sort of almost like a similar mistake to like Veep, although Veep has sort of been borne out, but just that, um, like the way into sort of a very conservative ideology is often um, like we they often want to like, we often want to relate. So like Phyllis Schlafly in this version becomes sort of among other things, sort of less of an ideologue and more of an utilitarian where she's just trying, like she wants mm. power. The men won't give her power. So she's like, fine, I'll make women's issues my thing and I'll get power that way. Um, and there's like the way, right. Where it's like, so any, all women can recognize like being not acknowledged and, you know, not given the opportunities they deserve in the workplace. Um, you and I are more alike than we are different. Right. And like the ambition thing and sort of it's soft pedals a little bit like her real, um, toxic viewpoints. (laughs) Exactly. You know? Um, and I think that that is true. I think the show does do a bit of that or does quite a bit of that. Um, I mean, I don't, like, I, you know, I understand how they got there, right? Like, it's not, it's, it's, it's sort of, uh, it makes her more relatable, whatever, you know, it's a way into it and, and sort of hard to imagine 
the show working if you were thinking about it without that part. Um, I mean, just for the people making it. But I don't think that Kate Blanchett's very good performance. I mean, Phyllis Schafly is not like relate like it's not likable in that show. You don't come out like thinking like, "Ooh, she's not so bad," you know? Um, right, right. I so in that way, I just like she seems like an asshole. She just are like a very identifiably real one. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that's Mrs. America, and uh, yet another recommendation for me to watch it. I will try to check it out soon. Uh, that's Willa's number five. My number five is The Last Dance. Uh, the Last Dance is the documentary miniseries uh, that chronicles the Bulls' season from 1997 to 1998 as they tried to win their sixth title in eight seasons. And again, you know, this is a, I've been talking a lot about the pandemic, but this is like one of those shows that hit, uh, well, I think it was like around May, June time period, right? Yeah, we were like a couple yeah. months into the pandemic at the, this point. Most sports have been canceled and, it was kind of, I, I just remember feeling first of all, like the footage they got of Michael Jordan being Michael Jordan, not only in terms of his performance on the court, but being ultra competitive off the court in interviews mm-hmm. uh, was extremely meme worthy and highly enjoyable. And you really, you know, I grew up, uh, my, my family was um, uh, like kind of poor when I was young. And so I grew up like, uh, the only movies I watched were movies I borrowed from the library and most of the library movies were like sports documentaries. Mm-hmm. So I would watch like lots of Michael Jordan documentaries and this uh, documentary series kind of put me back there of like, wow, appreciating why, like the the fact that Michael Jordan was such a mega celebrity in his time and why that was the case was because the way he played the game was so beautiful and the series, The Last Dance, kind of illustrates uh, what that costs, uh, what the what kind of personality someone needs to have to be able to uh, to be driven to be as successful as someone like that was, um, and also what was demanded of him afterwards after he became that big. So I really enjoyed it. I, I found it to be quite a great time, and it's it was fun to like uh, be tweeting with people about like this show that everyone's watching. You know that that was also kind of rare in the earlier days. Um, but you mentioned this and as something you enjoyed, right, Willa? No, I enjoyed Last Dance a lot. I also like love a sports documentary. Like I just they just really work for me, basically always. But I mean, I do think this was also deeply flawed. I mean, it's like it's so shaggy. Like the intercutting of time was like really needless and like sort of for its own sake, like by more than halfway through. Um like just a lot of intercutting. And I do wonder, like, actually not so different from the Phyllis Schlafly thing. I was just saying, you know, there is, the show was, is very, I mean, he participated in it. So it's very hagiographic in the sense of like making the argument, like to be as good as he was, you have to be this much of an asshole. And I'm just not sure that's true. Um, that basically there are brilliant people who are not assholes or like and... LeBron James exists. Like there's other models of like basketball players who demand excellence and don't Mistreat make their teammates people. feel like shit. Yeah. 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 I think those are totally fair points. Um, and I, I would agree with you that the, the whole thing kind of felt a little bit self-indulgent. Like it felt basically like they had a bunch of this footage and they just wanted to get the footage out in a way that was consumable and user-friendly, right? Yeah. And uh, whether or not it served the story. But 
I have to say the whole entire thing was highly enjoyable and and I understand. I, I don't think it needed to be ten parts, but there wasn't there wasn't an episode that I didn't enjoy. Yeah. You know? So I so I, I at the same time as I don't agree with like I I I don't disagree with anything you said. Um, I also had a great time with it. So that's my number five, The Last Dance. What's your number four, Willa? Um, this is my just like this was my like pandemic, mm-hmm. like escape show, just the Great Pottery Throwdown, which is a British show that HBO Max picked up the only three seasons that exist and released this year. And it's fully a great British bake-off knockoff, but with pottery. And I like, uh-huh. I have done ceramics. Um, so I liked that. And I love, like, I really loved this um, glass blowing show last year called blown away. Like I really yeah, love. I watched watch- that. I watched that. Yeah. Yeah. I like just really like watching people make stuff. Like just find it very, it's really satisfying for some reason. And um, I felt like the artistry on this show was like kind of stuck in a weird mid rut. And I wondered, if it was like the guidance they were getting but that aside the show is really lovely it's like people throwing pots and making pots in different ways like watching anyone throw anything is very soothing um and like on the wheel and it also has sort of hammy like it has like the anti-paul hollywood because like the male judge who's sort of like the famous character instead of like giving a stern test stern handshake and like being extremely macho and um withholding is like he cries uh, <laughs> <laughs> Paul Bremer Jones and he and he cries like at every you know at the good work and people who've exceeded themselves or people who did something they didn't think they could have he tears up and it's just very sweet even if it's you know corny um and I just really like that show gotta say wouldn't have predicted this one for you, you know I, I've been reading Willow's work for a long time would not have guessed the great prodigy throwdown would be uh number four but uh now I am probably gonna check it out so well this uh, is actually like I I I really only had a top four this year and this often happens like last year I really only had a top three and then afterwards just like ah eh, I'm like throwing some stuff I thought was okay in there. <laughs> so it's there because I actually really liked like enjoyed it so so it probably would have been lower if I had had like more shows I really enjoyed but I was like I'll tell the truth about this one all right. The Great Pottery Throwdown is streaming right now on HBO Max. Uh, okay, my number four, this is a weird one for me, Willa. This is a show I would not have ever predicted I would ever even watch, let alone like, let alone it be my favorite, one of my favorite shows of 2020. But it's going to be The Crown Season 4. Oh, dope. Okay. Now, I have not seen any seasons of The Crown until <laughs> Season 4. Amazing. Uh, and I, I never do this. I never do this. Um, but you somebody... kind of can just jump in because you know what happens. You know what happens, and also the show is quite episodic, um, which is a, a rare treat this day and age, where like every episode feels like a self-contained story. Yeah. Um, but season four of The Crown is fascinating because the show is finally catching up to things that we can remember in our lifetime. And in this case, uh, so for those who don't know, The Crown is a show about the British royal family over the years. Uh, and this most recent season covers Princess Diana. Now, Princess Diana, that whole thing happened when I was a kid, and uh, it was a, I remember it being a huge deal, but I didn't understand why. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't read tabloids or People magazine or anything like that, so I just didn't get it when I was a kid. And I listened to the You're Wrong About podcast, uh, which covered Princess Diana and learned about it that way and then i saw that princess diana is being mentioned here and i this is i'm like oh this is an opportunity for me to understand um why my mom was so upset you know when um elton john played that bastardized version of candle in the wind uh and so decided to check it out and i found it incredibly engrossing um the right like 
I, I'm of the opinion that it should come with a warning that says, um, hey, this is like not based like this. This is a work of fiction. But what fiction is there is very well done. The confrontations between the people in the family, the subtext behind those confrontations, I found it to be really dramatically thrilling. Uh, just really enjoyed The Crown season four. Uh, and you know, the, the whole thing is a tragedy, obviously, like we, we all know what happened to princess Diana and seeing it unfold, um, in slow motion, right. Over the course of what I think is going to be what 30 episodes, right. Of the, which this is the first 10 is, is heartbreaking. You see kind of the seeds of how this heartbreak is going to play out right, right now in season four. Um, so I had a great time and I was surprised by it because, you know, uh, I don't, really like British period pieces and I don't like to watch shows starting with season four. But, uh, when I look back on this year, like this is one of my best viewing experiences. Uh, you a fan of the crown Willa? You know, it's so interesting. So I haven't seen, I saw the first episode of the season and then I haven't seen the rest because I wasn't writing about it. And then I, at a certain point I actually was saving it. Um, I have seen a lot of the crown to this point. I think I had seen everything and the crown is actually to this point like not that good. I mean it's very beautiful and <laughs> sumptuous, but mm-hmm, it had mm-hmm. this problem which the season resolved, which is that it's about Queen Elizabeth who is a void and on purpose. Like that's sort of the argument of the show. Like she's the queen, she's not allowed to be anything else and she has to sort of like self-abnegate and like suppress all of her what everything for like the role and she's very good at it but that is a very strange dramatic lead do you know what i mean (laughs) like a person who right suppresses and like suppresses so well that she doesn't actually exist um and then in this season my sense is that she basically has two antagonists because she not only has diana there's jillian armstrong as um margaret thatcher margaret thatcher right and um, I think what's also interesting about this season is you Not kind Jillian of... Not Jillian Armstrong, that's what it is. Jillian Anderson. Jillian Anderson, yeah, yeah. Jillian Anderson no is Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about the season two that a few writers have pointed out is that this is the season when you start to see the institution of the crown start to collide with modernity, right? The, the crown is like a very hopelessly antiquated institution, right? Like there's... there's <laughs> it's... Um, it's not a super useful institution <laughs> and it's, it's highly wasteful as far as I can tell, but you know, based on the show and um, it, it doesn't feel like it's built for the modern era. And we, f- we start to see the tension of that play out this season. So uh, I quite liked it. I quite liked it. And I look forward to hearing uh, what you think of it when you check it out. So that's my number four, the crown season four. What about you, Willa? What's your number three of the year? Ted Lasso, which actually like, so again, I just really enjoy Ted Lasso, which is an Apple TV series starring Jason Sudeikis as the nicest, the most emotionally well-adjusted, like lovely football, American football coach who takes over a British Premier League team despite knowing nothing about soccer and proceeds to like win every person he meets over who some of them seem sort of, you know, maybe they're not that nice either, but of course they are once you like get to know them for even two seconds. So it's like, a complete fantasy, probably no one like Ted Lasso exists in the whole world, uh, but it was very lovely. It's very sweet. It's almost has like a lot of rom-com energy. Uh, and it's almost like I'm not, you know, this is one of the things where like when you're making a list, or you're like, does this feel really substantial? Like, was this a really good show? What will we think about? Like, I'm not sure about any of those things. Like there's something very escapist about it. And like, I, I think in a, 
alarming-ish way, which is this real fantasy about like Americans being able to do good in the world that is like kind of um, a weird fantasy. Not, it's a very understandable fantasy, but might actually be a sort of dangerous fantasy to have right now. And yet I enjoyed the show so much. I wasn't even like, like I watched it because people at work were talking about it. And then I was like, I want to watch another. Like I just watched it for fun. <laughs> like it was my, uh, and I really liked it. So that's my number three. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of had the reservations that you expressed about this, uh, this idea of like American exceptionalism. I mean, there is a lot to debate about whether, like where the show actually comes down on uh, that side of things. Um, but I this is a show where everyone I know loves the show, uh, and I, I haven't spoken with a single individual who doesn't like it, uh, other than me, who is you know uh, was not necessarily on my top top list. But I kind of recognize that it is a highly well executed sitcom, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, and uh, my sense is it brought a lot of delight and uh, levity to people's lives during a very challenging year. So also, I would say. That just like per my la- my like can streaming services make sitcoms is like oh look Apple just did it they weren't even like they have five shows so maybe right. <laughs> you just have to try to make something nice yeah 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 all right so that's uh, Willa's number three Ted Lasso uh, my number three is I May Destroy You uh, which is a mini series I think limited series. Um, created by Michaela Cole, who plays Arabella. Uh, and she, I mean, I'm going to give away the premise, but she basically uh, goes through a sexual assault in the first episode of the fil- of the series. And the rest of the show is about how uh, she and her friends deal with that situation. Um, I think the show is amazing. It deals with mature subjects in a mature way. And what I mean by that is there is no black and white. Like people aren't good or evil. They're not just one thing. And I appreciated how the show was able to highlight that. I appreciated how uh, this show was able to take this like highly subjective viewpoint, but like also not come down on the side of like, oh, this person's good, this person's the protagonist, and you should root for her always. Um, that there there are problematic aspects of all kinds of behavior, and I think the show really really highlighted that. I also think uh, that I had this kind of bad feeling in my gut when I was watching the show about how they're going to end this thing, right? Like as, as we got to the final episode, I'm not going to give anything away about it, but I'll just say like, um, I was worried that they weren't going to land this plane. And I thought the final episode was absolutely brilliant. I, I just had never, I have never seen anything like that final episode and how they brought this story to a conclusion. Um, so I really enjoyed, I may destroy you on HBO max can I ask if this is a later spot on your list? This is my best show of the year. I think it's like not even okay. close. Like I think this is like wow. by far the best show of the year, and like was so it's just like is is head and shoulders, and you can tell, um, and it's great. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I'll ask you a little bit more about it in I guess five minutes. But okay, cool. let's talk about your number two of the year. Yeah, What's your well, number this, this two is my show other favorite show. I really think this show is also very good. It's um, City So Real, which is a five part documentary on National Geographic Channel, but it's on Hulu now. Um, it's by the guy who made Hoop Dreams. It's about Chicago, um, sort of loosely oriented around the uh, mayoral election of 2019, and which Lori Lightfoot ended up winning, but there was a lot of candidates and it is so good. I don't like, I've, I, you know, it's a documentary. It does a lot of amazing things that documentaries can do. It's like a fly on the wall in a ton of different places. It's, it's taking place, you know, in a, in a moment in sort of, that's very, um, 
a very tense moment in Chicago after the Laquan McDonald shooting. Um, and so there's a lot of, you know, so it involved a lot of protests, a lot of, you know, white people who are not with it at all. Like there's a lot of different things happening in the city um, at this time and a lot of different candidates who are sort of representing those various viewpoints. And that's all really good. But the, the way I've been like sort of describing it, which is not even, it's like almost insulting to the show because it's so good at what it is. But it's all, it's like, if you like The Wire or like The Good Wife, like this is that, but a documentary where you're just like, there's just so many amazing characters and like things that happen. Like just for example, Chicago is just such a, you know, so proud of its tough nosed uh, insanity. So like to get on the ballot to be the mayor in Chicago, you have to get, you fill out these petitions of signatures. And then they basically spend genuine time trying to bounce each other off the like candidate list by going through the signatures. But it's totally all like just calling into question thousands of signatures based on like, you know, handwriting samples. It's sort of like, I mean, it's actually not so different. Some of the stuff that happened that sort of was happening recently. Um, the Trump team was trying to do with the election, but it's like all just like, you're trying to bump more, like you're trying not to even let people run. And you see like they're in these, like, you know, they literally like all these city employees have to like go through, (laughs) go through it with the two candidates teams. And there's multiple candidates. And like, all of these people are incredible. Like they're cursing each other out. They're like charming each other. Like every single one of these people, you're like, you could be on a fictional TV show. Like you are such a character. It's great. Like it's, and it's so interesting. It's really just a wonderful, wonderful, like riveting, awesome, like big expansive documentary that somehow like does so many things so gracefully. You, I can't, like I, this is also is like, you know, not enough people have seen this. Like it's so good. Strong. This is so interesting. <laughs> uh, uh, this is like uh, I, I thought. I kind of I, I've read some best of lists and and so on. And so I thought I kind of like understood the the consideration set that people were drawing from. But you've named like three shows already that I haven't even heard of. So I'm looking <laughs> forward to checking this out. Um, City so real is yeah, the name of the show. Now. It's, it's really Hulu, yeah. very good. Like if you're into documentaries, you're into politics, you're just like cities, like at all, like it's very good. And they did a fifth episode, so they filmed for a long time, but they, they did a fifth episode after COVID, like in Chicago, not after, like during, um, and, and sort of, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, it was, you know, and that episode is not as good. Um, but the first four are really incredible. Okay. I'm going to check it out. Uh, City Surreal on Hulu. My number two show of the year is called How To With John Wilson which is a, I guess, a documentary series on HBO Max. Um, but it's not really a, a documentary series. It's really kind of uh, a way of taking this documentarian, John Wilson, and exploring the world through his slanted lens, I would say, like on the world. And um, there are several remarkable things about the show. The deadpan narration the incredible B-roll that this uh, filmmaker was able to get uh, filming over the course of many years in New York City. I mean, he really captures... Was it filmed over many years? Th- that is my... Like, my sense is that the B-roll was was captured... Okay. Uh, may- maybe. I don't know. I don't know if... Uh, I-, I guess, like, a lot of the B-roll was uh, captured for the purpose of the show. But my sense is also that, like... I guess I just assume because some of the stuff that he captures is not stuff that you can necessarily plan for, you know? Totally. But I don't, um, I actually don't, I don't know, but I, I mean, they have like a writer's room. I think they might. Yes. yes. Yeah. So. Uh, well, captured over a, a lengthy period of time, but I think what's great, what's great about the B-roll is it captures the, the wide breadth of humanity 
that you can witness in New York, which I assume, well, I noticed this is not on your list, right? So, Will, I, I'm, I'm curious, like, um, is this a show that you were as enchanted by as many other TV reviewers? I wasn't. I, I like, liked it. and I, Or more, what should I say? I definitely respected it. Like, I watched it, and I thought that it was really interesting. And I think the footage is incredible, actually. And I almost would have watched it on mute um, and thought that was really interesting, like, in, in an art way. Like, I think this stuff is really good. But I haven't seen all of them, um, and I haven't seen the one that people love the most, the the coronavirus yeah. one. Um, but the first couple, I've seen, like, three or four. And I, like, liked it, but it didn't, like, it didn't do it for me. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I really am so happy it exists, and it, like, seems so interesting, and it's, like, different than other stuff, and I love that it's on people's lists. But it wasn't, like, I wouldn't be lying if I said, like... Yeah, it, no worries. No, it's yeah. definitely not a show for everyone. You know, I, I'm not like I wouldn't un- unequivocally recommend this. It's a very weird, skewed sensibility. But the thing I like about the show, beyond how it captures all this wide swath of humanity, is you don't know where every episode's going. Every episode is titled something like, you know, um, like how to uh, put up scaffolding and how to do these things, and it's ostensibly like a how to, you know, how to make good risotto, like how how to make how, how to do something relatively simple. Um, and then he kind of takes you on this journey into places completely unpredictable. And I just like, you know how we have trains of thought that we're like, oh, yeah, you reminded me of this time that I went to, you know, I was in Madrid and I went to a, um, a cockfighting match and I, you know, all this. And you kind of go on this like train of thought that's like really weird and random. And it, this felt like watching a TV show version of someone's train of thought. Basically. Yeah, like you're watching someone unspool all their feelings and things, and um, uh, and and take you into locations and into uh, into people's lives that you would never otherwise have predicted. So, I really appreciated it, and uh, I would would recommend you check it out. It's How to with John Wilson, and it's on HBO Max. So, Willa, you've already said you're number one. I may destroy you on HBO Max. Tell us about why you think this is the best show of the year by far. Um. I might just be on HBO. I know there's not like a distinction anymore, but I think it's an HBO show. Um, yes. Well, I just think it's uh, so Michaela Cole. I'm, tr- I'm trying to help Warner Brothers out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm so just Michaela, trying to... Michaela Cole's <laughs> semi-autobiographical are sort of based. I mean, she also was um, drugged and raped and sort of um, it's her show about that, but it's just so like, it's so deep and so thought out and it's literary in the sense of like every detail you push on goes somewhere and it does like land that plane and there's just so many interesting characters and like there's a lot to say about social media and also like just even the first so at the end of the first episode the protagonist is drugged and raped at a bar and she sort of spends a lot like the rest of the season dealing with that um trying to figure out what happened to her and sort of the first half and there's kind of a time jump so you actually don't end up in a horrible situation where the show is just like about like it it avoids becoming a mystery show um in a really i think clever and necessary way but even just in that first episode arabella is like that's a character michaela cole plays is a is a young writer she's like a twitter star who's sort of has a book deal and she has you know a group of friends in london she has this boyfriend in italy and like it's very it's a show like that is a show um just like that milieu and the way she sees all those people and then this thing happens at the end of the episode that becomes sort of what the show is about so the show becomes about assault in a very specific way um and sort of there's all these kaleidoscopic kaleidoscopic looks at assault because her friends all have different um 
relationships, like different interactions without consent and um, incidents that happened to them about that. But it just like it underneath it is just like, it's such a real world with such a real people in it. And I like, it just, it's just better than everything else. <laughs> like no offense to everything else, but it was just better than everything else. That's all. I, yeah, I absolutely love the show and found it enthralling and was really just, she just made a lot of really interesting decisions, you know, from a storytelling perspective. Um, decisions that, like, I don't recall seeing things like what what she did in this show. And, um, I, I mean, I still remember there was, like, <laughs> uh, I'll be very vague about it, but there's basically, like, a character who she interacts with online. And then later she finds out who that character is in reality. And it was it was... I I think I screamed like I was in shock. You know, I, I assume you know what I'm talking about. I don't know. Um, if I do. I don't know. If I do. Oh, but. okay. All right. We'll 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 sync on it after after the recording. Then, okay. But, um. But anyway. Uh. Yeah. So I may destroy you. Really surprising. Really brilliant. Highly recommended. It's Willa Paskin's number one show of 2020. What's yours? My number. My number one show of 2020. Is Better Call Saul. Okay. Uh. Now, I used to host a podcast covering Breaking Bad and um, Better Call, when, you know, the show kind of tried to transition to Better Call Saul, I mean, Better Call Saul was in my, in its early days, in my opinion, not as popular and not as interesting as Breaking Bad. And it took me a really long time to figure out like what the show was trying to say or do. And this season, the most recent season, was really this show uh, firing on all cylinders. Like I, I fell in love with this show head over heels in this season. And it's largely because of one character named Kim Wexler. Uh, so are you, are you caught up with uh, better call Saul? I'm not sense? at all, but I know about the Kim Wexler love. So the thing that better call Saul does really well is that it, do, it doesn't fall prey to a lot of the uh, issues that other prequel shows fall prey to, which is, too many references to characters we already know, right? Like the the brilliant thing about Better Call Saul is they create all new characters and then make you really invested and engaged in what their fate is. And Kim Wexler is chief among them because she is such an appealing character, so smart, um, so charismatic, and somebody who you as the audience member genuinely care about that you want her to be okay. And the thing is, there was no Kim Wexler in Breaking Bad. So what happens between Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad? Like there, it, is a, it is a massive mystery that everyone who watches Better Call Saul wants to know the answer to. And uh, it's a testament to that character's performance. Ray Seahorn is, is amazing in the role, but it's also a testament to the writing. Um, but this season, man, this was just like uh, that whole, how that storyline plays out. It's uh, like some moments in it, in that storyline, particularly in the finale that I'm just like, I am in awe of what they were able to accomplish. And um, I, I also compared to like, did you watch Ozark season three by any chance? I did not. I did not. Okay. So, so both Ozark and Better Call Saul like introduce these kind of side characters whose job it is, in my opinion, to kind of mix things like wildcard characters. They mm -hmm. like come in and you know, they're going to mix things up and it's very transparent, but the way Better Call Saul does it, in my opinion, is so much better than yeah. Ozark. Like, like, it's so transparent in Ozark. Like season three introduces character who's like, I know this character's job is to just make things more 
you know, tense and unbearable. That's like literally their only role in the show. And it was com- I was completely right about that. Whereas this show has one of those characters, but they are incredibly charismatic and also like you, you, you they're compelled, like compulsively watchable. You're like, anytime they're on screen, you're like, this guy is awesome. Um, and so uh, I'm t- talking about the character of Lalo for those who don't know. But anyway, so Better Call Saul, season five, amazing show. It got robbed during Emmy nominations. Uh, and I think this is the best season yet. If you are on the fence about the show, or if you watched a few seasons and you're like, should I continue? Definitely. Because this is one of the best shows on TV. And this was the best season of that show. So that's my number one of the year. Better Call Saul. Uh, is this a show that you uh, think you might get back into, Willa? What do you, you think? You know, I I want to say yes, but like it's funny. I just I I would like to say yes. I don't know. I it's just it's hard when there's so many seasons of anything at this point. Yeah. Like it feels overwhelming. I was I was up on it. I mean, I think it's very good. I just haven't for a while. Like I think I would yeah. have to stop writing about TV as my job for a long time before I'd have time to get back. Oh man, life. damn. You, so so me putting it as number one does nothing to sway you then huh? well it just feels like i would have it's not just that like i have to go watch like a whole at least a seat another season yeah yeah no that's fair enough fair enough well that's my number but one I, better I think, call i think that that's yeah. like not i think like a lot, a lot of people feel that way uh which is not you know like better call Saul probably deserves more attention in general indeed so do we have a few minutes to chat about yeah, let's do it. the hated and okay, okay. so what's your, I just, but, something but on like my, the interesting thing is what is your why do you hate queen's gambit <laughs> that's the interesting uh, thing well uh, i it, it's not it's not even that i hated it it's just more like, it's just more that i found it a profoundly silly show and i did not understand the the love for it like there, there's so many elements to it that feel like uh incredibly uh clunky and not artful um let me i'll list a few of them like her like playing chess on the ceiling you know what i mean like just Mm -hmm. that visual just feel it feels like a very like hit you on the head with it obvious way of explaining like how she's you know practicing chess um there's some casting in the show that i find just genuinely baffling um like uh she has a love interest right uh benny watts i think played uh-huh. by thomas I love brody benny sangster watts, so i don't know where this is going but go ahead i love benny well i'm just like the, that character looks like he's uh literally 13 years old and <laughs> I love benny. he is supposed <laughs> to be he is supposed to be a right, right he's supposed to be this kind of like swaggering badass and it's just like dude um you you look like you just got out of diapers like i just i don't understand uh I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Um, Willa is where, where I'm at with it. And and like, uh, I don't think that the show finds a particularly interesting or compelling way of portraying chess, which I know a lot of people disagree with as well. So I this is just a show that was a complete miss for me. It's not a show that I like hated, but it's a show I watched all the way to the end because everyone I knew was defending it strenuously. Right. And I just saw nothing of what they loved in it. But tell me your your thoughts well, on it. Well, I'm not like the right speaker up for it because I don't um like I don't adore it or anything, but I just like liked it. Um yeah, and actually the the extent to which people have loved it and written about it, and I think much more thoughtful ways than I initially anticipated them being able to do has made me think it's like a deeper show than I thought. I, I mean when I saw it, I was sort of like there's not that much there there, but like it was fun. Um but that I, I I felt the same way except the fun part. Uh, but right, but that but I, there's been so much like thinking about it. Sort of, I feel a little differently. I mean, I think I think the thing about it, um, which I've said a couple times now, I think, is that um, 
it isn't so different than Ted Lasso. It is operating in this fantasy way where it's like the show where you think, um, this is basically me swiping Aaron Beatty who wrote about it for the um, Los Angeles review of books and tweeted about a bunch like thesis about it, but um, that, you know, at all these moments, it seems like it's going to be depressing, right? Like it seems like it's a drug show. It seems like it's a child abandonment show. It seems like it's like a messed up genius show. It seems like a evil stepmother show. Like just, it's a Gothic. Like there's just all these moments where you're like, Oh, this is going to get really grim. And it never does that. And said nothing bad happens. Right. It's like, everyone is actually, decent and nice and all all of her obstacles are removed from her like magic i mean i think that like there's a reason why a lot of shows we think are great have conflict you know and i I just uh, but i think i found that that to me is like that's sort of you know you can understand why that also also might be particularly compelling right now like it's a show where like you know misogyny doesn't really exist like every man she defeats is like how can i help you um yeah, and like, misogyny doesn't exist, and everyone is super into chess. Like, yeah. although everyone's reading chess, chess magazines at all times, and it's yeah, it's kind of this uh, interesting fantasy world. And like that is can seem sort of facile, and I sometimes think it is sort of facile in that show. But I, you know, it's not. I think there's other ways to see sort of what that's doing. But I think that is sort of one of the reasons that it resonated so much with people. If I had to guess. Which is that That's it's fair like enough. it's sort of like yeah. very polished and prestige looking and it seems like it's touching on all these like deep themes, but actually it's just like really happy, you know? That's the thing, yeah. If it was like, hey, this is a fun show, it's like but it's like it's it has been written about so much and analyzed so much, I'm just like I, you know, to quote, uh, what Mugatu or whatever, like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I feel like I'm like from an alternate dimension where, like, this you know, I watched good. the version of this. Sh- <laughs> I, I, yeah. I watched the version of the show that was bad. Like I just found it had nothing interesting to say. Like, I don't, what is this show trying to say? I, I don't understand. Um, anyway. So, uh, and, and by the way, I will say this is of all the shows and TV, uh, TV shows and films I've talked about over the years. This is one of the ones that has generated the most intense reaction and what i mean by that is like i literally had people writing in to my podcast saying i i have listened to your podcast for years i am quitting your show because you said you didn't like the queen's game really um so yeah it's i am completely baffled by it but i'm hoping placing my opinion at the end of this hour plus long podcast uh willa is going to limit my damage in that respect (laughs) um Okay, let's talk about one of my honorable mentions and one of your worst shows of the year, Devs. Now, let me start by saying, I understand, Willa. <laughs> I, I understand the show is completely up its own ass and the, it's it's glacially paced and uh, the performances are all super stilted and uh, no one speaks like a human being. I forget where I was going with this. No, I'm just joking. You're going to say something good about it? Even though there's nothing. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, I it's really hard to talk about devs without saying like without talking in depth about the final episode because like really everything converges on it but what i like about devs is that it brings up really interesting ideas and like allows me to reflect on them and and yeah. kind of take them in my own direction but as a show itself you know it's it wasn't super uh, there, there were many things to dislike about it you know what i mean Yeah, no, I mean, I, people definitely like, like, I will say about devs that like, I think it's a fully realized thing. Like, it's what it's supposed to be. It's what Alex Garland wanted it to be. He has an aesthetic and a vision and it like, it's not half baked or something. Just like the thing that is baked, I find like so ponderous and like humorless and insufferable. And like, people have told me 
that like the joke is kind of like the whole premise is like kind of a joke. Like it, like there's like the, the whole like seriousness with which it's approaching the world is like supposed to be like, you know, a little goofy. And I just was like, mm. I, I did not, I do not agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it, it, it does not seem self-aware to any degree. Right, and opinion. I find that just totally unbearable. It's total lack of yeah. self. And and I do also do sort of think. I mean, we can say, I don't think without spoiling it, like it does sort of get into like these questions of like, you know, like physics, supercomputers and like multi-universes, which are fun to think about. But then also like, are they? Like, it's just really not the first (laughs) time like we've encountered some of these ideas. And I do like, it It did really have a very similar plot to Westworld this year, which like I didn't watch all of. And like, oh, that's it's very true. It's very true. I, th- I would argue that devs did it better than Westworld. I'm sure that it did. But it's just like I just I just think this idea about like this supercomputer. Is a weird idea at this moment where it's like the thing we have to fear is like our own power to create these incredible machines that know everything about us and like that may turn out to be like a problem we're gonna have <laughs> but just like in this moment like that's not the problem we it, have it, like in this moment it feels the problem, like a very far away issue yeah like right the now. problem we have right now is like all the schmucks who run those machines like you know and like <laughs> just really like it just is so it was just like a tech show sort of that was like so just deeply disinterested in actual tech like do you know what i mean it could have been set mm. in any like field where you could create a supercomputer or like or some it's all true it, does, it doesn't thing. even need to be a computer it doesn't even need yeah. to be a computer and it's just right? like it could sort be of a like, supernatural force or it's something. like yeah. weird like silicon valley trappings where it's just like nothing like it's no insight and nothing to say about that i just agreed i will I'll, i will agree that the like it takes place in silicon valley but seemingly has like nothing to say about the setting or silicon valley excess or anything like that um which is kind of a wasted opportunity um, but yeah, I, I don't disagree with any, anything you said. I mean, I think I will say, I think the show like looks really good. Like, uh, it's the production totally. design is pretty spectacular. And, but f- yeah, for me, like it's less about the execution and more about the concept behind the show. Right. And right? I think- like, I think the execution, yeah, the execution is like, is like pretty rough at times, but the ideas it introduced into my head. Um, and I also thought, by the way, that the ending of the show was very, very beautiful, and I really liked it. So yeah. that's another like any show that can end in a way that I'm just like, wow. I mean, I still think about that ending to this day of, of how beautiful that that final episode was. Um, I'm gonna be thinking about that ending for the rest of my life, Willa. So yeah, anyway, I did. Um, the, yeah, I had like a lot of like mm, something that makes sense here about that, but I do think <laughs> I do think like it did have like had a vibe. It had a, a really strong, funky vibe, like a, a smell. And if you're into that particular thing it was doing, it's very appealing. And that just like isn't my thing. And I, but I think it is a, like it's a, it is a vibe that people are into, and I get that. Yeah, yeah, but uh, understood. And uh, <laughs> I'm glad we could have a peaceful conversation about devs and Queens Gambit. It shows <laughs> that people feel very passionately about. Um, oh my god, please! I've never like television you're allowed to think whatever you want about anything you want it's fine you can be wrong but you're allowed i'm not gonna yell at you all right well i think that's gonna bring us to the end of this (laughs) week's episode of culturally relevant it's been so much fun willa um you can find more episodes of this show at culturallyrelevantshow.com email us at culturallyrelevantshow at gmail.com or follow this podcast on twitter at crev show that's c-r-e-v-s-h-o-w um, and also this episode is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast.com, a great solution for powering and managing your podcast. Check them out at Simplecast.com. Willa Paskin is the TV critic at Slate.com. She also hosts 
Decoder Ring, a great podcast about pop culture. Willa, thanks so much for being with me today. This has been a blast. Thanks so much for having me. It was really fun. Thank you.